Good morning. Delight to see all of you here this morning. As you know, for some weeks now, uh, we've been in school. The first school was the school of prayer, where we talked about making sure that as we emerge from the rubble of COVID, we reorient our lives around the things that are most important, that are bedrock to our lives. And, and our thought was that prayer, both private and corporate prayer, was the foundation on which we were going to build. And quickly, a part of that, in order to do the most important things, we needed to serve. Because in serving others, we grow in our relationship with Christ and we acknowledge that we are servants of the Most High God whose desire is to bless all nations of the world through us. And so we are on mission with Christ when we are serving others. And additionally, when we serve others, we end up working with people who are difficult to get along with. Okay, that's just going to happen, and we're going to have to appropriate the grace of God to be Christ-like in difficult relationships. And through those processes, the Spirit knocks the rough edges off of us and transforms us into greater Christ-likeness, which is His desire for each of us. That's part of what service calls us to do. It's also why it's always curious to me when people in the church find themselves having difficulty with other people in the church, rather than working their way through those relationships, they run away. And so if you run away, you essentially thwart the transforming grace of God. He's going to have to get that work done in you one way or another. And one of his chief ways of doing that is to help us negotiate difficult relationships together so that we can glorify him and understand that we don't always have to get our own way and that we have to work together and that humility is a first step in all of that. That's part of what serving does for us and why it's so foundationally important. It puts us on mission with God and moves us in the direction of the transforming grace of the Holy Spirit. But now we're in a third school. And the third school is the school of sharing. Sharing multiple things, but first of all, we talked about sharing your story. If you recall last Sunday, we talked a great deal about being in touch with your story, knowing what your story of salvation is, being ready to tell that story. What did we read in 1 Peter 3? Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you, to give the reason for the hope that you have. So we have the command of Scripture to always be prepared to tell our story. But we have more than that when it comes to commands in Scripture. We're also told to be prepared to tell His story, not just our story. The two intersect, hopefully. And when we tell our story, it will be about the story of Christ. But there will come a time... This is the time towards which we pray, where someone will ask us, well, what is the story of Jesus? What, what does the Bible teach us about the story of Jesus? It just happens that I have two handouts in the lobby. They look like this. They're on the center table. And they have two different things in them. One of them is a one-verse evangelism flyer, which gives you an approach to sharing the gospel story with someone who asks you. 
This is a, not a brand new method. It's just one approach. The other has two other approaches in it. The first one is a brand new method. And the second one is really old. It's called the Roman road to salvation. It's a great method. It takes someone through the gospel story through the book of Romans, so you're not having to page all over the whole Bible to find the scriptures that you need. But that's in here as well, depending on which one suits your personality, which one you harmonize with. The reality is there's lots of different ways from scripture to tell someone the story of Christ. But the one verse, well, I'll read method one first, and then I'll demonstrate for you the uh, one verse evangelism. I've been looking forward to this all week because I'm going to demonstrate with Pastor Gary, and we do need to get that guy saved. And so <laughs> we'll do that later in the service through one verse evangelism. But first, I'd like to take you through a, a more contemporary method, a, a potential explanation when someone says, you know, how do you become a Christian? How do you do that? Now, now please understand me. The task of theology in every age is to translate the same old, old story in words that communicate to a new generation. So the words may change, which is fine because words change in their meaning and nuance all the time, but the essence of the story may not change. That cannot be changed. So the story has to stay the same. The words may sound different. So when you hear me say things today, some of the words may sound different. The message is exactly the same. Okay? This is something you might respond to someone who asked about what it means to become a Christian. There are two competing philosophies about the nature of humanity that are in existence and prevalent today. One argues that man is basically good and just needs more education and better practices along with sufficient nurture and guidance to improve to the place where we are not constantly struggling against one another. That's a prevalent theory of humanity right now. It's interesting, if you look back in history to like the 1890s to the 1910s, it was also a very prevalent theory about the nature of humanity at that period of time. And you know why we sort of abandoned that theory? World War One, World War Two, that theory was completely lost in the culture during that period of time because all those folks who were telling us that man's just getting better and better then had to deal with the awfulness of world war and the truth broke in. There's, there's another philosophy that maintains that humanity is basically selfish and that we almost always place our self-interests above the interests of anyone else and above the interests of the community at large. Self-interests, in varying degrees from simple to demonic, is the basic cause of the pain of the world and the root reason for the inhumane way some people treat other people. It's the starting place of deviant behavior the starting place of difficulty, tragedy, and the mess we are in as a society today. Christians, for the most part, and when I say for the most part, you understand there's a wide range of folks who call themselves Christians today. But Christians, for the most part, believe that humans are born selfish 
and are more likely to be self-centered than other-centered most of the time. And when our selfishness is put into action, we call those things sins. By the same token, when our selfishness keeps us from doing the right things, we call those things sins. That's just one category of sin, but it helps explain the picture. We get a general picture of the wisdom of God versus sinful selfishness in the book of James. This is James 3, 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Christians believe the only way to correct this natural inclination to selfishness is to be born of the Spirit. There's a great story in the Bible where one of the Jewish leaders comes to Jesus and says, you know, how do I enter the kingdom of God? The man's name was Nicodemus. And when Jesus responds to Nicodemus and, and talks about entering his kingdom, this is what he says. This is Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh but spirit gives birth to spirit. Christians believe that people can be born of the spirit by asking the spirit of God to breathe life into them. Inviting God to lead your life results in a brand new way of living. This is what Romans 8 says about that brand new way. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, you and me, who do not live according to our flesh, but who live according to the spirit. When a person becomes a Christian, what we believe is that the Holy Spirit actually takes up residence in us. He begins to inform our conscience and helps us to resist self-centeredness. He whispers to us, helping us to choose right and to reject wrong and to embrace a whole new way of living. And by his help, by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, Christians can begin to live in a way that allows us to care for others. Christians don't do this perfectly, but this transformation and the growth that follows 
is only possible if I choose to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. There are specific ways to make this happen. I begin to read the Bible and get wisdom to help me listen for the voice of the Spirit. I join a group of people who are walking the same way I want to walk, and I ask for God's help for myself and others. So to become a Christian, a simple choice must be made. And, and Romans 10 tells us what the choice is. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Humility is required. Without it, you will never accept the advice of anyone else, including the Holy Spirit. Pride goes hand in hand with selfishness, humility with concern for others. This is what John 1 says. Excuse me, 1 John 1 verse 9. If we will confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. And so, if you are ready to become Christian, it's taking these steps. It's acknowledging belief in Jesus as Lord and God, asking him to forgive you of your sins, and stating your intention to receive the Holy Spirit and listen to his advice as you move forward in your life. Are you willing to do that this morning? Are you willing to acknowledge that you've lived selfishly? You've committed acts of sin, things you knew were wrong and did them anyway? If you're sorry for that, if you regret that, and you would ask God to forgive you and to send the Holy Spirit into your life, it's simply a matter of asking and his promise is, if we confess, he's faithful to forgive and purify us. That's really good news. That's, that's his story, his interaction with us. The Roman road to salvation is printed in the handout. And I'm not going to take the time this morning to actually walk through all the details of that but I do want to get my brother Gary saved. So I'm going to ask him to come and stand on this side of the old school technology, which I'm forced to use today. Now, it's going to be a little hard to see. We're going to need the lobby doors shut all the way across to minimize the sun streaming in. And we're going to need the sanctuary lights turned out. So we're picking up this story after a time when my friend Gary says to me, well, what does it mean to be a Christian? So we're going to have a conversation, Gary and I, as if we were sitting in a restaurant and I'm writing on the napkin that I'm not using, should be on my lap, but I've saved it just for a time like this. Okay? Gary, it's delightful to have lunch with you today. And I'm so grateful for the question you ask of, 
uh, how you become a Christian. And the Bible's full of different pictures of how this happens, different words, different stories, different narratives. But there is one verse that brings all the pieces of this story together in a pretty simple way. And if it's okay with you, I'll just write this verse on this napkin. And just talk you through that. Would that be all right? Sure, that'd be fine. Okay. So the verse is from the book of Romans, which is in the New Testament in the Bible, the sixth chapter and the 23rd verse. And I'll show you that later. But just to begin, there's some words in here that are interesting to me. The first is the word wages. Now, what are wages? Wages are what I get paid for working. Exactly. What I earn. That's exactly. Yeah. You, you would be very frustrated if you worked all week and your employer didn't come through with a paycheck, right? Because wages are just what naturally follow from work. So we're not surprised when we work and we get wages because we have it coming to us, yeah. right? And so in, in our picture here, we'll let this lovely drawing of a person represent me and you and all humans. We work and we expect wages. There's another word. When you hear the word sin, what do you think of? I think of things that I'm not supposed to do. Exactly. I mean, that's what, that's what comes to mind. We, we have a, a common understanding of sin and, and and sin has some natural consequences to it that I think are pretty familiar too. I mean, if you are uh, a bank robber, for example, there's someone you don't want to see, and that is the police. So sin has this way of separating you from that which is justice or goodness or those kinds of things. And so the wages of sin well, there's a natural consequence of our sinning, and that is it has a tendency, well, not a tendency, it separates us from God over on this side. That's what our sin does. And our sin causes a natural consequence according to this verse, which is death. The wages of sin are death. And when we talk about death here, we're actually talking about separation from God. Um, no continuity of life there. The wages of sin is death. That which naturally comes from sinful actions is death. Fortunately, all the bad news is on this side, and there's this wonderful word, but, which means there's also good news. And the good news is this. There is a gift in mind. How, wh how, what's the difference between a gift and wages in your mind? Wages are what I earn. A, a gift is something that's given to me for free. Exactly. So there's a difference between wages and the gift. And as much as we love getting gifts, the reality is if I give you a gift, it's free to you. It wasn't free to me, right? You have to, someone has to buy the gift somewhere. Someone's got to supply the gift and make it possible. And so this particular gift is the gift of God. And the gift that he has provided is eternal life. It's right here.
We believe he provided this in a very particular way. And the reason the gift was necessary is because humans were separated from God with no opportunity, no chance of ever being reconciled to God or having any relationship with God or any standing with God, any interaction with God. Uh, There's no reason for us to be tied together because our sin has separated us. But the scripture says that this gift of God is available to us through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the bridge that connects humans with God. We believe that Jesus gave his life on Calvary's cross as a sacrifice for our sin and that all of the sin can be wiped away when we trust in Jesus through Jesus we find our way to God and he becomes Lord of our life. The scripture is really clear that Jesus is the bridge between humans and God. And when we ask God, who is Jesus? It's God coming down to earth to provide this gift of eternal life. When we ask him to forgive us of our sins and ask him to give us new life through him, We have a connection with God that guarantees us the gift now of eternal life. And so the question is, where do you find yourself here? Have you ever asked God through Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sins? Have you ever invited him into your life? Am I supposed to say no I'm not going to ask you to lie on the front of God's altar. (laughs) Gary will say yes every time to that question. But at that point, you have to ask the question, have you received Christ? Have you confessed your sins? Have you invited Christ into your life? Have you invited Christ to send the Holy Spirit into your life so that you can be a new creature? Uh, At that point, there's any one of... A hundred verses you can use in scripture that talk about the eternal life that is ours in Jesus Christ. And Romans 10, 9 is a great one. 1 John 1, 9, uh, confidence timed, confidence scriptures that Christ will do what he said he would do. Those are great scriptures. The, the joyful thing about one verse evangelism is you only have to memorize one verse, right? But for those of you who are more studious, having four or five different arrows in the quiver makes a lot more sense because then you can explain very specifically um, what you mean when you say, I want to invite you to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, a saving relationship with Jesus Christ, where you know that your sins are forgiven, where you know that the Holy Spirit lives in you, where you know that you have confidence that the gift of eternal life is yours. That's the confidence I want you to have at every funeral service you attend, at every hospital bed you stand beside, every time one of your relatives passes on to heaven. We want to know that they have this confidence anchored in this transaction, that they have come to the foot of the cross, confessed their sins, acknowledged Jesus Christ as Savior, and have been born of the Spirit. 
because that's what Jesus says is required. Everyone must be born of the Spirit to be alive in the world to come. Here's what's fundamentally important this morning. I read a book recently written by a guy who was talking about interpreting the Bible, and in the preface to the book, he acknowledged that he was not Christian. And I thought, why are you writing this book? If you think that you can share this story without being Christian, don't bother trying, okay? We must first know the truth of the story if we're gonna tell the story. And every pastor knows that on any given Sunday, there are folks in the congregation who have not yet made that decision or are sitting on the fence, haven't decided to put both feet into the kingdom yet, sort of just hedging their bets, not completely abandoned to God yet. Not sure if that way will be successful enough for them. Not sure that God really has their best interest at heart. Not sure that God really is able to provide the stability, the stability that they require. And if, and if that's you this morning, if you haven't come to the place where you've made the decisions that Gary has obviously made to ask God to forgive you of your sins, to name Jesus Lord of your life, to step with both feet into the kingdom and say, Holy Spirit, live in me and guide my life and I will do my best by your grace to follow your advice regardless of my personal and selfish opinions about the matter, then this moment is for you. This is the time to make that decision. In a moment, we're going to sing a song. And when we sing that song, I would invite you to do one of two things. If you've never made that decision and feel like you want to come to this altar of prayer while we're singing and make that decision and anchor that decision right now, I would invite you to leave the pew where you'll be standing and come down to the altar and kneel here and ask the Father to forgive you for your sins, to ask the Spirit to enter your life and to receive the gift of eternal life. Some of you may be more shy than that. You can pray these same prayers in the seat where you're seated. But remember, the scripture we read recently said, if you confess with your mouth, you've got to tell someone about it. Okay? I would love to be the person you tell. I don't have to be the person you tell. But I would like to know of your confession of faith. Okay? So you can write that on one of the cards. I received Christ as my Savior today and put it in the box. I promise you I'll call you this week and we'll talk about it further. Because there's things to do once life changes like that. There are things to do that are important for your encouragement and your support and your forward progress in Christian faith. And it's 
the most important thing you have to do. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus together. We won't use any instruments, just us. Stand with me. You probably can close your eyes while we sing, and the words are pretty familiar. And um, if while we're singing you want to kneel at this altar, come right away and kneel here as we start singing. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. The cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back, no turning back. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. Please do not procrastinate making it. Please step into the kingdom today. Everything hangs in the balance on this this decision. Do not delay. Though no one join me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. I require you by the authority of scripture to know your story and to be prepared in season and out of season to share the hope that you have in Christ. Be prepared. Copies of all the presentations I've made today are in the lobby. If you want to take a copy of any of these methods or approaches, put it in your Bible, study it in the week ahead. I encourage you to do that. Study to show yourself approved. Workmen who do not need to be ashamed when explaining the word of God. And this will be to his glory. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Jesus, if there are those this morning who have stepped into your kingdom for the first time, I pray your blessing on them. I pray that you would give them courage in these days. I pray that you would assist them as they learn what it means to walk with you and that they will quickly find friends for this journey. For those of us who have been in the kingdom, and who have not taken time to know our story or your story, forgive us and help us in the days ahead to study and prepare so that we are always ready to tell others of the good news, the saving news of Jesus Christ. 
and help us, Lord. Give us opportunities to share our story. Make us sensitive to the voice of your spirit when you speak and prompt us to tell your stories. Bring into our pathway people who need to respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us to be fruitful and to multiply for the sake of the kingdom of God. Give us a passion for those who are lost, a burden for lost souls around us. Deepen our care for those who are around us who do not have the promise of eternal life, Lord. Lord Jesus, rescue the perishing, we pray, and do that through us. We pray this in the strong and sustaining name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. And now may the glory of the Lord appear through you as you tell the blessed story of the cross. Amen.